Welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. Today, we're talking COVID vaccines. Our guest has some advice for people who are still thinking about if they want to get the shot and how to talk to the people in your life who feel unsure about it. Also, what are the kinds of things you'll be able to do once you're fully vaccinated? We'll share those details too. First though, can you do us a favor and subscribe, favorite, or follow Health Now where you're listening to podcasts? We'd really appreciate it. Okay, let's get started. Have you gotten your COVID-19 vaccine yet or spent time trying to get an appointment to do that? Or are you thinking you'll wait a while longer or not get it at all? More and more people in the U.S. have gotten at least one dose and all adults are supposed to be eligible to schedule an appointment by the beginning of May, with more doses becoming available. Trials are also starting of vaccines in children. So how well are the vaccines working and how accepted are they at this point? We're talking about it today with Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice, President and Dean of the Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta. Dr. Montgomery Rice, thank you for joining us today. I am excited to be here, thank you. We're excited to have you. Um, you went public when you got your vaccine, sitting next to Dr. Sanjay Gupta while you both got your first doses. Did you have any side effects after that? You know, I didn't, and I was very much anticipating that I would because, you know, of course, we read everything, and even though you're a scientist and know that there's a chance that you will, there's a chance that you won't, uh, I was anticipating, and I actually, we, you know, we did it early in the morning. We stayed on air uh, on and off for our 15 minutes because neither one of us had any risk factors for why we needed to do it longer. And then uh, I went to work, and my arm was a little bit sore, but other than that, it, it, it was less sore than when I usually get my flu vaccine. Wow. Well, that's yeah. a, a nice surprise, I guess. <laughs> It was a very nice surprise because I was anticipating the worst. And then, you know, it didn't happen. That's great. Yeah. Are there things you feel able to do now that you weren't comfortable doing before you got vaccinated? For sure. Well, you know, here's what I felt when I got the first vaccine shot um, was I felt honored. I felt humbled because this was in December. I mean, we were early on, right? Getting right. This. And I was still thinking about all of the healthcare professionals who were out there on the front line with everything surging. And, and Sanjay and I talked a long time about whether or not we wanted to do this because we didn't want to jump the line. Right. And then people said to us, we need help with building vaccine confidence. And so I was so humbled that someone thought that we could provide a level of confidence to the healthcare professionals and to other persons who were really concerned about whether or not they should participate and get their vaccine. So um, I then, after I got the second shot, and we actually did it on air, but we just videotaped it, and Sanjay has probably used it for some other times. Mm -hmm. But I then felt more empowered than Carrie to actually um, think that I could go to a restaurant. But I will tell you, I have my I didn't go to my first restaurant until last Monday. So oh wow! Even, even have, have, have it haven't been vaccinated, 
Um, I didn't go to my first restaurant. And when I went to that restaurant, I actually ate in a private dining room. So. <laughs> yeah, it's so, going to uh, take a while to just kind of feel comfortable is. doing the things we, we used to do. For sure, for sure. Um, so like you say, you got vaccinated publicly to help encourage people, especially anyone in the Black community who was hesitant, maybe, um, to feel confident about getting the vaccine. What Correct. is your, your take on how it's viewed now, both in the general population, but also specifically in the Black community? It seems like it's in broad demand, but do you feel that that's true across the board? I think it is in pockets. So mm -hmm. what we're seeing is, first of all, the first part of it, we had a supply problem, right? And so people were wanting to get the vaccine. They were thinking they should get the vaccine and then they were concerned about would there be enough? So that sort of created this level of urgency in the general population. Mm -hmm. And what we saw was that we as a country were not prepared logistically to have equitable distribution and equitable access. And so in many pockets of the country, we saw people come into neighborhoods to get vaccinated when they'd never been to those neighborhoods before, mm -hmm. which did not help us with our mistrust and distrust that, that some of the minority communities have with the health system. And so we spent a lot of time and continue to spend time, Carrie, focused on dispelling myths and building confidence from um, a point of view of having people understand. We understand the historical context where your mistrust and distrust came from. However, there is excellent data to show that these vaccines, when combined with our preventive health measures of washing our hands, watching our distance and clearly wearing our mask, we can beat this virus. And so when I come to people from that perspective, I see less hesitancy. And this is evident that we're having some progress. When you look at our vaccination Saturdays that we did in January, February, mm -hmm. when we opened the site up, 8,000 people enrolled. We only had enough vaccine for 2,000 people over those four weeks. And the, and the demographics of the people that we vaccinated 68 to 70% of them were African-American. Mm -hmm. Yet we had, you know, 6,000 people left on a waiting list who were in that same demographic of 68 to 70% being African-American. And that clearly does not align with what we're seeing nationally. So I say all that to say who the trusted entity is that's providing the messaging really does matter. That makes sense. Well, and also, I mean, accessing the vaccines has been kind of challenging if you are working and you don't have time to do a lot of, you know, checking websites and calling, you know, health departments and those kinds of things. Um, so that's, I would assume that's been a challenge or as well. Or if you don't have internet or if you are older and are, you know, challenged by using technology right. and we don't have a uniform system to for people to register. Now, I will say that all of that has gotten significantly better. And if you notice in the state of Georgia, where we are now, all adults are now eligible for the vaccine. So that means that we will have 
many more pop-up and walk-up opportunities for people to just come and get their vaccine vaccination. And that is really critically important. Yes, that will be excellent. That's very exciting. How are these vaccines doing in terms of effectiveness? You know, we saw the initial um, results of the trials where they showed pretty good numbers um, for, you know, the Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson vaccines. Uh, how is that playing out now that people are starting to get them? You know, for me, the most important metric has been deaths and hospitalizations. Mm -hmm. Because not only was I seeing the concern in the community, I was seeing the challenges in the health care delivery system. So a third of my organization at Morehouse School of Medicine works at a hospital or a care delivery setting that ends up taking us about 50% of the people. And I saw how exhausted these people were both physically and mentally because of the surges that we saw in hospitalization, the number of people in the ICU, challenges that people were having, decisions they were having to make about who's gonna be the ventilator and who, who cannot get on a ventilator right now and how can I pace their respirations such that they don't end up requiring a ventilator, ventilator people not having time off, et cetera. And so the most important part about each of these vaccines is that they all have impacted our death rate and our hospitalization rate, such that when you look last week, COVID-19 was not the leading cause of mortality last week. Unfortunately, it was heart disease, which has been for a while, forever, right? For a longer period of time, but right. it wasn't COVID-19. So that's my first metric. The second metric was hospitalizations. We are seeing a significant drop in hospitalizations. And unfortunately though, we're seeing a plateau of the number of new infections. Now, should we be concerned about that? Yes, we should. That tells us that we are not near herd immunity yet, that the variants are being able to do what they do. This virus is mutating. And so we are seeing some variants maybe spiking up. So that means that we need to do more genotyping to understand when someone is positive that we do the genotyping of the virus to know what the variant is. So we can sort of contact trace where we may need to see more, where we can direct more resources but these vaccines are doing what we need for them to do. And eventually we will see a decrease in cases. We will see that. So yes, I think they are all effective. Some people are trying to figure out which vaccine they should get, you know, call it vaccine shopping. And they wonder if some are better than others. Uh, is that the case? Again, if I look at hospitalization and deaths as my uh, metric, right? Mm -hmm. I do not think that there is any demonstrable difference between the Johnson & Johnson, the Moderna, or the Pfizer. Now, if I start to look at mild to moderate symptoms, okay? Now remember, so no one gets mild to moderate symptoms unless they do what? They got diagnosed with the, with the virus, right? So, but in controlling those mild to moderate symptoms, there was data that clearly showed that Moderna and Pfizer 
were better than Johnson and Johnson, okay? Mm-hmm. Or, or AstraZeneca or the early stuff that we're hearing about Novavax. But remember, we haven't gotten the Novavax and the AstraZeneca approved yet. So we don't know all of the data for them yet, right? Right. And so what I say to people is the most important thing we want is people not to die and have to be hospitalized. If they get the virus and they have some flu symptoms, most of us can live with that. We do it all the time with flu. So for vaccine shoppers, here's my message to you. When your time is there to receive a vaccine, take which one that is available. And I say that also, Carrie, because I'm not convinced yet that we are not going to have to have booster shots or be vaccinated every year. Right. So just like another we... time for you to get another one. Right. <laughs> right. So don't don't worry about that. You may end up over your lifetime getting four or five different ones. So your time will come. So. Right. Because it's not clear if this will be something like the flu virus where you, you do have to get a vaccine every year um, because every the year. because the, the versions of the virus that are out there change every year. Yeah, and, and guess what? You get a different vaccine. Right. <laughs> so it's not the same one that we gave you last year. You probably so don't I, even I know which vaccine you get. You don't. <laughs> well, here's the care, here's the interesting care. People don't even ask the question. Exactly, right. And, and when they, when we talk about, when we really look at the data, the flu vaccines are what, 50 to 6% effective? Mm-hmm. They, they, that's, how, that's how effective they are. But what we've seen now, you know, we've seen a decrease in the number of respiratory diseases um, uh, like RSV in children and flu in children and in young adults. So that tells us that doing one of those preventive health measures like wearing our mask and not passing germs back and forth to people is really making a difference. So it's not just the vaccine that's making a difference. It is the hand washing, the social distancing and the wearing of the face mask. Right. Those other preventive measures still do make a difference, even if you've had a vaccine or if you haven't. Exactly. Um, exactly. There are now, as we've mentioned a couple of times, three vaccines approved in the U.S. And it seems like vac- vaccine skepticism is waning and that more people actually want to get it now. But is that the case across the board? Uh, there was a report from the Kaiser Family Foundation in February that noted that Black and Hispanic adults continue to be more likely than white adults to say they will wait and see before getting vaccinated. And nearly four in 10 Republicans and three in 10 rural residents say they will either definitely not get vaccinated or they will do so only if they're required. Um, So what is your take on how open people are or aren't to deciding to get the vaccine right now? So I am always open to listening to their reasons and then trying to provide them with information to make them more comfortable with the decision. So I want people to make informed decisions. And unfortunately, what I've heard is for reasonings, are, are not necessarily based in science. And so it is really about having the right messenger so that people feel that 
people are providing them information from a sense of uh, authenticity and that there's trust in the relationship. And then also demonstrating through their own actions that uh, modeling behavior, right? Modeling the behavior. Mm-hmm. And then it's also, and I've said this several times, Carrie, it's assuring people that if you're standing in line and you're unsure about getting the vaccine and you see a lot of people standing behind you, step aside, let those people perceive, but also be assured that we're not going to kick you to the curve. We're gonna save your vaccine for when you want to be vaccinated. And I say all that to say, Carrie, it's about trust and it's about choice and people do have a choice. Now, it's under the emergency use uh, authorization right now. We cannot force anyone to, uh, employers can't force people to take the vaccine. But I do believe that you can create a social contract with your employee base. And that social contract is, how do we keep each other safe? How do we enter into an agreement that we're gonna adopt the health preventive measures of which a vaccine would be the case, such that we keep our community safe, whether that's our family unit or our social social circles or our workforce. And many of us are having conversations about how we do that in a way that's not punitive to people who choose to opt out. But it also shouldn't be taxing to people who choose to opt in. Mm-hmm. And so I really try to meet people where they are. I try to dispel their myths. Now I'm a scientist, so I always revert back to science. But I also understand that behind every statistic is a person standing there with a tear wiped off. And I have to understand what those people's stories are and try to address what their concerns are. What do you think the vaccine hesitancy for this particular vaccine was about? Um, You know, the mRNA vaccines were a new type of vaccine. Was it perhaps the speed with which they were developed? Or was it more about the past, you know, unethical racial medical research or the politics around COVID? I mean, there's lots of reasons, but is there one that you've heard of uh, more often than others? It's all of the above. Mm -hmm. I think warp speed is never a term that you want to ever use (laughs) when you're developing something (laughs) that is scientifically driven and that's going to be given to people, okay? Nobody (laughs) wants a warp speed surgery. Nobody (laughs) wants a warp speed uh, examination, right? Nobody wants a warp speed engagement. Now, do people do appreciate when you get the, when they can get their vaccine within 15 minutes? Now, they do appreciate <laughs> the efficiency and effectiveness around there, but we just got the messaging so wrong, Carrie. Hmm. We did not talk about the 15 to 18 years of technology and development that mRNA technology had been under. We did not talk about that there had been many times where they had tried to figure out how they would use this technology in drug discovery and development. 
and that the this this uh, COVID uh, SARS COVID two that um, virus allowed itself for that because of the rate in which it mutates, right? And mm-hmm. so we didn't get to tell that story because unfortunately we are in a pandemic and people were dying. And then of course we had the national rhetoric about um, where it came from. And so we have seen much of that discussion lead to discriminatory practices uh, and actions against people who had nothing to do with the vaccine, I mean, with the virus. And that's unfortunate. And then Carrie, in all honesty, I think it's about leadership. Leaders have to lead and leaders carry a message. And that message needs to be consistent and transparent. And when we didn't know, sometimes we did not say we didn't know. And therefore that led to a lot of confusion to the public Mm -hmm. about what we did know and what we could do and what they were empowered to do and what they should do. And so I think it was a combination thereof for for the African-American and the Latinx community. Yes, a large part of it was about the distrust and mistrust of the, uh, with our historical past of all of the levels of experimentation of people not being valued. However, we have been carrying this message and it is very true that many of the black and brown persons who have been in the discovery mode, the evaluation mode, the analysis mode, um, the processes of uh, allocation and and distribution of the vaccine have been black and brown people. We have been there in the table, helping to make sure that we are involved in the decisions and that there's been a cultural competence lens and an equity lens on all involved in all of the steps. That's so important. And I'm very glad that, uh, that, you know, there, that representation has, has been so important. And I think it's to your point though, it's good for people to, to know and to understand that that was a part of the process all along. So yes, very much so. Hopefully that word will get out. Um, a lot of people have had questions about what's okay to do after they're vaccinated. And the CDC has given some recommendations about um, behaviors post-vaccination so far. But we're also hearing about people traveling and having bigger gatherings and going on spring break. Um, What is your advice? Um, I have a couple of different scenarios maybe that we could go through and you could give me your advice on whether or not they're they're safe to do after you've been fully vaccinated. Um, And by fully vaccinated, we mean both doses of a Pfizer or Moderna vaccine or one dose of Johnson and Johnson. Okay. Um, so can you fly somewhere, maybe on vacation or to see a loved one? Yes, you can fly now, but you could fly before you were vaccinated, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there are wonderful precautions that the airlines have made. Delta, to my knowledge, unless it changes in the next couple of weeks, are still keeping an open seat in between passengers. All of the airlines, to my knowledge, are um, requiring that um, you continue to wear a mask. Uh, They are asking you to keep your mask on throughout the entire flight unless you are drinking. And on some short flights, I don't even think they're offering 
um, water and, and food. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, of course, they are doing increased sanitation uh, and they are being considerate of how they're boarding the planes and uh, letting people off of the planes. And so they are practicing preventive health measures before the flight, during the flight, and after the flight and expecting for you to adhere. Now, mm -hmm. do you have a lower chance of having uh, or getting the vaccine, getting the virus? I think that if the vaccines are really doing what we think they're doing, they're decreasing your opportunity to get the virus, regardless of whether you're flying or not. But the most important thing I think that's doing that is wearing the mask, okay? Mm -hmm. Protecting your, uh, wearing your mask and protecting yourself from receiving other people's secretions and then you sharing yours. But the key thing is if you get the virus and you've been vaccinated, you have a significantly lower chance of being hospitalized and dying. I mean, a significantly lower chance. And that's what the studies have shown. And that's what we're seeing when we look at all of the daily reports, we are seeing that drop in that hospitalization and death. Right. Yeah, that's that's good news. Uh, that's yeah. that's very important. Um, okay, so flying with safety yes. measures that's that yeah. seems like it's okay. Um, yeah. What about spending time with an older loved one, where maybe not so much the risk to yourself that you would be concerned about as much as the risk to that person? I would only spend time with those older people if they've been vaccinated. Okay, they that's need to have been vaccinated also. And still, even in that, I would probably still wear my mask. That okay? makes sense. Okay. Unless, and the only way I would start to deviate from that, if we've always been in our bubble. So right. if, you know, my grandmother was living with me and we've been in our bubble and we haven't been infected or anything mm -hmm. and we get our vaccines, I would probably feel comfortable in all honesty at that point after that seven day period of time, a 14 day period of time afterwards, particularly after that second shot of us taking off our masks. But anybody who came to visit in the to, with us, mm -hmm. even if they've been vaccinated, I would make them have their mask on around my elderly person. Because when you know, when we looked at the data early on and they were thinking about the prioritization, the highest rate of death occurred in people who were 65 and older, mm -hmm. okay? And it was significant. They may have only accounted for like a nursing home, less than 1% of the population, but they were a significant percentage of the deaths, okay? And so mm -hmm. that's what we have to make sure that we recognize. Okay, so wear a mask if, if you have not been vaccinated around an older loved one, but if you've both been vaccinated, um, then, it's, then it's safe to make those visits for sure. Right, right. But, you know, I would not go visit elderly people if they haven't been vaccinated, even okay. if I had my vaccine. OK, I want to make sure that we that should have everybody who's 65 and older should be vaccinated by now who wants to be vaccinated. Now, that needs to continue to be a priority of ours mm -hmm. because we know they have a significant higher death rate. OK. Okay. How about on the other end of the spectrum? Could you send your kids back to school or to daycare after you have been vaccinated? 
obviously vaccines are not available for children right now. Right. So, you know, the CDC data, and this was really confusing to people, but the, the, when the CDC did look at the information with, um, in, in schools, they did show a low rate of infection, right? A mm -hmm. low rate of infection. And so now as they have been able to look at this data and you know, there are schools who were doing lots of different things. And so they had a lot of great data points based on the different scenarios. And so um, I think there is clearly the opportunity for our kids to come back to school, particularly now that we recognize that our teachers are essential workers and they should be vaccinated. So I would have minimum concern of having my children go to school, K through 12 kids go to school, particularly if the majority of the teachers and the employees working in the school system have been vaccinated. Because actually the people that I'm more concerned about than the children are the actual adults. Mm -hmm. Because the children are most likely asymptomatic carriers, right? Mm -hmm. And they would pass it on to the adults. Okay, and so uh, even though the data hasn't shown even that transmission uh, pathway to be very high mm -hmm. and everybody's still gonna have their mask. Now, I don't believe there's any situation that I'm comfortable with yet. Getting on a plane, being at a major event, going to a school district, school, et cetera, without wearing my mask and having everybody wear their mask. There's no situation that I'm comfortable yet with that. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned going to events. Could you go to a concert or sporting event if you were wearing a mask and you'd had your shots? Inside or outside? Uh, both. <laughs> okay, so I would probably, yes, yes, you probably can inside if it is socially distanced and everybody's wearing their mask. Outside, socially distanced, as then people can probably take off their mask. Okay. But if you can't socially distance on an inside with your, uh, then I would not go to, I wouldn't go to an event yet. Okay. That I makes sense. Yeah. I think, did the CDC say like large gatherings are still kind of not something that's safe at this point in time? Right. That, I, I believe that's what they're still seeing large gatherings. And then the question is, what is large? And so I'll give right. you two examples. Our church which is Ebenezer Baptist Church. We have a committee that in Atlanta, we have a committee that I'm a part of and we have a meeting every other week. We are still having church virtual. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it has been very, very impactful to have it virtual. And, and we've had some thoughts that we don't believe that we're gonna go back in person until we see the case rate go down to less than 5%. Right. Okay. And so, and the reason for that is, is that, and, and we're looking at not just Fulton County, but we're looking at the surrounding counties in the entire state of Georgia. And part of that will be because we know that the chances of someone being in that gathering who may be an active case, have an active case would be lower. But even then, we're all going to still have on our mask. And even then, we're all going to be socially distanced. And we're hoping that 70, 80% of people will be vaccinated. 
such that if someone does get infected, it will just be flu-like symptoms and they won't require hospitalization. And of course they won't die from it. Right, preventing those more severe consequences right. of yeah. getting infected. Right. Okay. Right. Just a couple more scenarios to run through here. Could you go back to a gym after you've been vaccinated? Uh, yes, I think so. Mm -hmm. um, many gyms now are, they've been, when they open back up, they had all of the social distance protocols and they require people, except those running on the track and the treadmill um, to have on their mask, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you're there lifting weights, et cetera, and you're spaced out enough, I know many of them increase their ventilation, et cetera. And so I just think that had being vaccinated adds another layer of protection. But if I'm going to the gym and I'm in the weight room, I'm going to have on my mask. I'm going to have on my mask. That makes sense. And keep the, keep the distance from the person next to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. The last scenario here, which I know is something that a lot of people are anxious for. Can you hug someone if only one of you is vaccinated? Are you going to have on a mask? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be a common theme here, Dr. Montgomery Rice. <laughs> you know, I really believe in these masks. I'm telling yeah. you, I think, I think that's more the game changer than a lot of people want to uh, give it credit to. Um, so again, I live in the South. And we are big huggers. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I really thought I was going to miss it. I'm okay with it. Mm. So I still think the elbow and, and fist bumps or whatever, you know, are, are still adequate for now until both people are vaccinated. So I'm not hugging anyone who's not vaccinated. Right. Well, maybe that one is, is worth waiting for until everybody yes. is, is definitely safe. <laughs> right, right, right. And, well, and, and I think we've got to remember is that you all, nothing is 100%, mm -hmm. okay? Nothing is 100%, but every little bit matters. Common sense matters. Wearing the mask matters. Washing your hands matters. Social distancing matters. And if we can get everybody on board with this, plus the vaccine, we are going to get back to a new norm now, I will tell you, Carrie, I don't know that once everybody's vaccinated that I'm still ever going to fly on a plane without a mask on. Hmm. I don't know that I ever will. Now, part of that because I'm a germaphobe anyway, but <laughs> I also know that there are people who are going to be carriers. And so the inconvenience for me having a mask on for two hours on a plane versus not getting the virus, even if I just get flu-like symptoms, mm -hmm. I'm willing to deal with that. And so I don't mind being inconvenienced such that we can get back to some social norms. That makes sense. Are there mm -hmm. other, it'll be interesting to see how many of these behaviors that we've adopted over the past year or so will continue, like wearing a mask on a plane. Are there others that you think will kind of you know, be part of our lives for a while, even after, you know, a larger number of people have been vaccinated? You know, what I hope that what we will um, see is that how important our environmental um, spaces, um, our, our, our spaces, how they need to be environmentally safe, 
And so I hope that we will see some new standards of ventilation and um, environmental care uh, be con uh, continued and that there's a process in place for monitoring that. And there are lots of other people who are more, way smarter than I am about that, but I know that you know, great ventilation definitely decreases the chance of uh, viruses continuing to be able to circulate. I think that we're gonna also know, or be, maybe appreciate more how important sanitizing things are. Mm -hmm. I would be very, very surprised that we rush back out to having really, really big events without having some cautionary plans in place for some levels of social distancing, whether it's two feet or three feet or people being more in pods versus people just being scattered, uh, you know, touching and being engaged with people that you don't necessarily know. I would be surprised if that comes back too, too fast. Mm -hmm. And then what I really hope that we will appreciate care, and we haven't talked a lot about this, is that the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on black and brown communities mm -hmm. was really based on the fact that those persons tend to have more chronic diseases that were vascular in nature, so that when they got the virus, they had more side effects and complications that led to hospitalizations and death, and that there was inequity in access to PPE and access to, and the ability of people who were essential workers to be able to socially distance. Mm -hmm. And that we do not have policies and procedures that protected people who were quote unquote in this lower socioeconomic uh, stratum of where they were providing these essential activities for many of us to continue to work from home or to do things that we could do socially distance or me being in my private office, et cetera, that there were a lot of people who made that possible for me to be able to do that. And we need to advance, not just protect those people's rights, but advance their rights to an equitable work environment and benefits that allow them to have access to the equipment that they need to do their jobs in a safe manner. And then when they need to take off, they need to have the benefits of being able to have appropriate sick leave and job protection. So I'm hoping that this is something that comes out of our learnings about this pandemic. I hope so too, because that has certainly been a stark uh, fact that it was hard to ignore about how this pandemic has played out. So I hope the spotlight stays on those issues as well, for sure. Yeah. Right, right, um, right. On a more positive note, is there something, or what is one thing I suppose that you're really looking forward to getting back to doing once life starts to look a little more normal? I really do miss seeing my students. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, just being able to walk through the campus and to see them in small group settings or, or 
I, sometimes I would go to the classroom and just sit in in the back. Of course, I would disrupt it for a moment when I walked in, but pretty much the, the, the professors learned to ignore me, right? <laughs> or I would go into a research lab and see everybody there humming along or listen to a works in progress uh, thesis presentation. And I miss that. I miss the energy of talking to my faculty beyond, uh, beyond Zoom. I, I love having group think, uh, uh, think meetings, you know, group think talk, what we used to call it, where we would all come into a group and we would think and we would talk. I miss those interactions. I miss the energy and the innovation and the creativity that comes from that. And I want that back. That would be nice. Zoom is great, but it's not, it can't replace those interactions. I definitely agree with you. <laughs> yeah. So that's the one thing is I, I want my campus to come back alive. Well, I hope that will be the case sooner than later. Dr. Montgomery Rice, thank you once again so much for joining us today and for sharing all of your, your insights. We really appreciated talking to you. I appreciate that being on. Thank you so much. Thanks again for joining us today. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out WebMD on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There's always valuable health information there to explore. Have a great week, everyone. Talk to you next time.